Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Okay, it's, um, I guess, Thursday afternoon now, early Thursday afternoon on um, Thanksgiving. Uh, see why I'm saying that in a second. And I'm doing this um, in honor and sponsorship of my good friends who now made Aliyah and they're in Israel, Alan and Janet Abramowitz, because it's the upcoming uh, 43rd anniversary. I say again, 43 years. That's longer than me. He's younger than I, but long, married longer than me. <coughs> and um, the Abramowitzes are old Baltimore, and um, they made Aliyah not long ago and upon retirement. And uh, as their parents did, a strategic retirement. Of course, they didn't know they're going into a war zone. But now they're putting their shoulder to the wheel. So I want to say a few words about Thanksgiving. And let me see here. This podcast is being brought to you by Alan Bromwitz in gratitude for Janet putting up with me for 43 years. (laughs) That's another way of saying they had a happy marriage. And in honor of all those Jews and non-Jews who have responded and continue to respond to innumerable requests for everything from toothpaste to tactical pan, to helmets, and ceramic <coughs> bulletproof plates in, in support of Tzahal. So, um, this is, of course, uh, <coughs> true, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago. <coughs> there are many people who are not Jewish, who are uh, stepping up to the plate, and um, sending in funds and other kinds of support uh, to help the soldiers in their needs. I don't know why the Sahel is like never ready. You know, they're always behind the scenes. But I guess any, you know, civilian government is going to be like that. When the United States went to war also, World War II, they were behind the scene, uh, behind, uh, you know, in, in a lot of supplies. And we're all happy to help, you know, if you can help. And I mentioned the case in, in Pennsylvania the other day, and I, was, I know Alan was a member of a law firm. He has a lot of uh, uh, colleagues and clients and people like that who are not of the Jewish faith, who nevertheless are uh, supporting Israel. And we hear so much, I just mentioned in the Helen podcast before, so much of the uh, bad guys that uh, we forget there are a lot of good guys out there also, which is exactly what I wanted to talk about today. And I asked them, uh, they recent, literally recently made um, Aliyah. Uh, Alan and Janet, the whole family is very Zionist. My father was a friend of Ben-Gurion's. Uh, his father also introduced uh, Katras, you know, years ago, decades ago, the federations were like totally clueless to anything halachic. And it was a whole fight to get him to, to make a Jewish federation type of dinner be kosher. <laughs> we forget these battles from yesteryear. Um, but anyways, his family's always been involved in that. And now I asked him, what are they doing as grandparents with the war effort? Because, you know, you're too, they don't want your blood, you're too old. They don't want this. You know, You, he's like me, you have a bad back, you have a this, that, and the other. You can't contribute this way, but they're uh, helping out in the civilian sector. Of course, right now, a lot of civilians are being asked to contribute whatever they can. 
as grandparents and as otherwise and as uh, as teachers. So, um, uh, you know, we wish them tremendous uh, mazel in their new situation and helping out uh, with the matzah. I mean, I know no other son is spending Thanksgiving delivering meals, turkey meals to soldiers. And, you know, listen, this is part of the octus, okay? But they've always been into the octus. I said, and one of the, you know, today's Thanksgiving, and years ago we had the luxury of saying, it's Thanksgiving, a halachic holiday, not, I mean, I know Moshe Feinstein or Salvation. That's when times were normal and good, and you could argue over little things. Uh, because, I mean, really, you know, is it mamish, chukas, Not really. So, on the other hand, you could disagree with me and say, the original pilgrims were Christians, which is true, and it was a Christian-type thing, eh, sort of. Um, but I see this, or I would like to uh, speak for a few minutes about the fact that um, Thanksgiving and the pilgrims who came to America are actually the beginning of a new period in Jewish history, whatever they specifically had in mind themselves. One of the most interesting things to me, when you look at history, especially what we call intellectual history, is that a person can have an idea, and he may say this idea and have certain um, exceptions in mind, but the idea itself, once it gets out there, is so powerful that over the course of times, the exceptions fade away. Um, thinking, for example, the founding fathers of the United States, like Thomas Jefferson, were slaveholders. So when they said all men are created equal and endowed to freedom, they didn't have in mind the blacks. But over the course of time, the idea that what they didn't have in mind didn't matter, because once you say you're in favor of freedom, that all men are created equal and endowed with their by their creator with inalienable rights and things like that. So that, you know, um, was stronger than the exceptions that they had in mind. You know, that's what it is. Stronger than the exceptions they had in mind. So, uh, over the course of time. <clears throat> Which is why, watch what you say, because you may say mean something in a certain way. That doesn't mean that's how it's going to be taken. As a rabbi, as a public speaker, Everyone knows that because there's the speech you give and the speech they hear, you know, and then the, and then the speech that they say over in your name, <laughs> right? So those are not necessarily identical at all. In the case I'm talking about, I'm thinking of the pilgrims and the Puritans and people like that, which is um, very interesting. It's a lot of literature in it. I've never really, you know, been so preoccupied with it closely, uh, but. I identify me. I identified Thanksgiving, the Pilgrims, and the others in terms of a very broad historical trend with what I would call the rise of uh, philo-Semitism, and therefore le leading to the rise of the modern state of Israel. There's this uh, great book I saw years ago in the Hebrew College. I never, I should have got it. I never got it. It's uh, by Rubenstein about philo-Semitism, not anti-Semitism, but the reverse. Philo-Semitism, uh, it was like a couple named Ruben, Rubenstein, that's all I remember. And uh, there was a history of uh, English, as I recall, primarily English uh, Philo-Semitism. In the 1800s it was, whatever it was, 1900s. Don't smirk at this. These are the people that actually made the modern state of Israel. It drives the Arabs and their friends crazy, but it happened. And it's most unusual. The Christians <clears throat> throughout the Middle Ages were extremely anti-Jewish. And, I mean, pretty big. 
And that was the Roman Catholic Church. Sometimes they're a little more tolerant, sometimes less so. And then in the 1500s, you have the rise of the Protestant Reformation. But the original Protestants, like Martin Luther, those guys were more anti-Semitic than the Catholics. There's a whole schmooze in that, but that's what the bottom line is. And believe me, the Jews always, you know, prayed that the, the Catholics should win, not the, not the Lutherans. It'd be terrible for the Jews. This you read all up in the Yusselman of Rosheim. You know, go, go read his uh, diaries from the 16th century. Um, but that's not the only kind of Protestantism. The very nature of the fact that you're breaking away from the Catholic Church and doing your own thing leads to a multiplicity of sects, right? S-E-C-T-S, right? All kind of different groups, because when it comes to religion, as we know in Judaism, everybody makes Shabbos for himself, you know? This one's not exactly right, and that one's not exactly right. Only what I do is exactly right, you know? And, uh, and so on and so forth. So this is how these things were uh, developing in the 1500s and 1600s. Um, all kinds of varieties of Christianity popped up that never existed before, because in the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church would kill you. They were very successful in suppressing attempts to come up with a different type of Christianity than the Roman Catholic one in Western and Central Europe. And... Uh, that's the Christianity the Jews grew up with. You know, when you see the old Sfarim, they write about, you know, uh, Nazareth and all, they're talking about the Roman Catholic, which is why some thoughts about it's because they had a lot of idols and things of that nature, you know, as opposed to Mary. There's a whole raid on that. But <clears throat> Christianity was rethought in many ways in the 1500s, 1600s. And it's not shot that there was one type of Protestant, but there were dozens. And one place you really had an outbreak of this stuff was England. Because the Lutheran Reformation never took place in England. King Henry VIII wanted to kill Luther because Luther insulted him. Uh, but Henry VIII, as you know, set up the Church of England, which is still there today, the C of E. And what he really had in mind is it should be the same thing as the Catholics, except that he, the king, should be the head of the church. He'll be the Pope. That way he can get himself a get get rid of his wife and marry the other ones and so forth and so on. See, basically, he liked the Catholic system. He just wanted to, he should be the Pope. That's what it boils down to. And yes, the Church of England went through its own evolution and all the rest of it. That is true. But there were a lot of Protestants that didn't like what I just said. They said the idea that there should be like a, a, a parallel or a faux Catholic just with the King of England in charge, that sort of thing, they didn't like that. These were the these groups, many different ones popped up, and among them were the people who started Thanksgiving, the pilgrims, as they call them, which is a certain type of Puritan. And uh, if I remember correctly, they wanted, they wanted to have their own separate church that shouldn't be part of the Church of England, which led to their leaders being hanged and all this other kind of stuff. England is full of tremendous theological wars and arguments and things like that in the 1500s. It's just interesting. Uh, you have to be just a PhD, I'm serious, just to study all the different types of varieties of Christian groups. Uh, and it really flowered in the 1600s when you had the Puritans, which I would say was the most important of these Protestant groups that didn't agree with the Church of England. And uh, we know them because they were led by Oliver Cromwell eventually, and he became the head, like the dictator of England, because he was a military genius. 
to the pilgrims like a branch of the Puritans, if you follow what I'm saying. I won't go into theological details, because why should I on a Jewish podcast? But what does it have to do with the Jews? It does because these types of Puritans and pilgrims had these kind of strange attitudes towards the Jews, unprecedented. The Catholic Church used to be interested mainly in the New Testament. And only, that's the Icar, and the Old Testament is the Tuffle. By the Protestants, especially the Puritans and the Pilgrims, it's not that way. I wouldn't say that the Old Testament was the Icar, but it's up there with the New Testament. Therefore, they're very much machshev, all the stuff that you find in the Old Testament. And that leads you, right, to be interested in the Jewish people as such, willy-nilly. Because the Old Testament, as we call it, the turn of Bimitzum, is all about the Jews. That's pretty clear. It's all about the Jews. And remember, they viewed this as a holy book, all that kind of stuff. So it led them to say that there are two types of peoples out there, or three. There's the Puritans, who actually are the real believers. There's the others, who have false beliefs. And then there are the Jews, who are like funny, because they were the people of the Old Testament, but they don't accept Christianity. So they have a false belief, but they're kind of weird, like an intermediate zone. That can go this way or that way. All I'm telling you is that you started to have, and this developed as time went on, this funny attitude towards the Jews, which is a love and a hate. You get it? A love and a hate. What do I mean when I say it's a hate? Why don't you convert to our way of religion? Why don't you see the truth? What's wrong with you? That's very bad on your part. On the other hand, I have to love you because Yashka came from the Jews and obviously the Old Testament shows that God's very interested in the Jews. And so each one of these sects had to work this out on their own. Obviously, the highest mitzvah for them is to convert a Jew. That happened very rarely. It happened a little bit, but it happened very rarely. But they always were hoping you know, they'll be able, through the power of their arguments, to convert all the Jews. But here's the thing. They were not the type to go and say, let's make all kind of laws and legal persecutions against the Jews. The Jews are like something of a turnoff, perhaps. But they're also a source of fascination. And these pilgrims and Puritans, I mean, they knew all the stories of the Tanakh cold. And they're inspired by that. When Oliver Cromwell led the Puritan armies out, they sang to Hillam. Now, they sang it in English, I get you know, they didn't sing from the New Testament. They sang from the Old Testament. You see? They saw themselves as Maccabees because Hanukkah is around the corner. For Protestants, the book of Maccabees is part of the Bible. It's in the Apocrypha. To them, it's to them, not to us. To them, it's part of the Old Testament. And uh, <clears throat> the Maccabees, of course, the story of the Jews fighting for the Jewish religion. Recover the temple. This is the mindset of the people who, as you know, founded the original colonies. The pilgrims, as we call them, as everybody will remember from elementary school, went to Plymouth Rock in 1620, right? That's very early on. And they already, some were talking about, you know, learning Hebrew, and others talking about, you know, looking at the Pesukim for Gematrias, and all kind of things like that. And they really were, like, preoccupied, among other things, but heavily preoccupied, what the Jews are, and who they are, and what they are. And there weren't any Jews in Plymouth Rock, you know, at the time of the original Thanksgiving. 
with the American Indians. Although, they thought the Indians are like the Aseris Ashwatim, which is good for us, because they said, maybe we won't have luck converting the regular Jews who are very stubborn, but the American Indians we can convert. They're like from the Ten Lost Tribes. And I'm sure the Jews said, I guess, yeah, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Go do the Mohicans, <laughs> you know? Leave me alone. Um, so the beginnings of these centuries are very important because, I'll tell you again, it's a love of hate. So where there is this resentment of the Jews, there's also a kind of grudging admiration and respect. And if things play out right, it can turn into support. Okay, support. Lamaisa, because the Puritans ruled England for 10 years and only 10 years, when Oliver Cromwell was a dictator, that's when they let the Jews back into the country, in England, which has the profoundest historical significance because if the Jews are allowed to come back to England, it means they can go to the English colonies, including what you and I call the United States of America. Originally, it was the English colonies. So, you know, Plymouth Rock and then the other Puritans, they made Massachusetts, and then eventually all the other colonies, the Jews were allowed to go there. They weren't crazy about the Jews, but if you're Jewish, you don't need crazy. You just say, leave me alone. In other words, don't persecute me. Don't write laws that, that hem me in. You know, let me practice my own religion in peace. And I'm not bothering you. And I and, and if there's a contribution to make civically, you know, count me in. That became the basis of the American Jewish community. It's not a clinicite. And it's because of the funny way of thinking Protestant-wise of these Puritan and Pilgrim-type groups. <clears throat> I remember, I'm sure I've said it before, in the time of Oliver Cromwell in the 1650s, there was a famine in Yerushalayim. There was a very small number of Jews living in Palestine, especially Yerushalayim, half for Sephardim, half for Ashkenaz, and the money ran out. The way it used to be, in earlier centuries, Jews would move there. They didn't really have a parnos, especially those who came to sit and learn. See, either you came with money on your own, like the shlor or something like that, or else you relied on tzedakah. The tzedakah had to be collected. The Sephardim had their collection system, and the money went for the Sephardim. The Ashkenaz is the same thing. I think I've talked about this. So, for example, in the great Jewish community in Poland, which was gigantic, they had a couple of places where they rounded up the money, and um, they rounded up the money, and they had it transferred through Jewish bankers to Turkey, and then from there to Palestine. So in those, they had a system worked out. The problem is in the 1650s was right after, was in the time of the Cossack Wars, Khmelnytsky and all that, the Russian invasion. And so Poland was like knocked out for a while. You understand? Knocked out for a while. Um, so the money wasn't there. And the Sephardim in the 1650s were able to survive because the Sephardim money came in for them. But the Ashkenaz were starving to death, literally. And they sent a shliach, Mashalch, to Europe. I think his name was Shapiro, not Rafal Shapiro. It's the same name as Megal Amukas, but it was a different guy. What was the name again? But, um, uh, what do you call him? And he was a Mashalch. And he went around. He wasn't so successful in raising the money, and people were starving. Now, I remember he came to England. 
the times there basically were no Jews in England in the 1650s. And he hooked up somehow or other with these Protestants of the type I'm talking about, your Puritan types. And they asked him what's going on. He said they're starving in Yerushalayim. They passed the hat and raised money and gave it to him to send for the Yerushalayim. You believe it or not? Now, they were Christians. Why are they contributing? It's the first time in history that I know of. I think that anybody knows of. They had a Christian um, philo-Semites, let's call it that way, not anti-Semites. And they used money in the 1650s for the Jews of Yerushalayim. And I remember when the money came there, it was such a shock that it actually was a lucky question are you allowed to take money from uh, Nachrim? Uh, plain and simple. Are you allowed to do it? That, that Shiloh never popped up. And now it did. I know it's in the Shiloh's and Shubas Halachas Katanas. I remember that distinctly. He was the big Sephardish rabbi there at that time. I'm sure I've done him. You know, Chagiz. Uh, Chagiz. Uh, you know, the big uh, gong there. Um, he was he was the uh, the big guy, um, the posek, and he says you can take the money, and ever since then, <laughs> Jews have been doing that. Uh, but why would somebody in those centuries, when Judaism was completely, you know, discountenanced, uh, why would they give them money? And the answer is, they had a weird sympathy for the Jews, and they also hoped, in some fashion or another that this will lead the Jews to convert to Christianity. Does that make them bad? Does that make them good? That's exactly the mindset of the pilgrims who came and started Thanksgiving in 1620 in Pilgrim Rock, Plymouth Rock. They wanted to help the Jews in a way, but they did so with the intention that it will result in the end, they'll convert to Christianity. So what? how do you evaluate that? On the one hand, you can always say like this, well, you're only doing it shalom shma. You're doing it, you know, for... Uh, for a, I don't want to say devious, for, for a purpose. And it's true. On the other hand, they're putting up the money. People in Yerushalayim survived because of their money. What do I care what their reason is? Do you hear what I'm saying? What do I care what their reason is? If they're putting their shoulder to the wheel, we need all hands on deck. The clothes are on these friends. We have very few of those. And... Uh, and that, and, and you know, those kind of sentiments also animated Oliver Cromwell, who was the dictator of England, that he let the Jews back in. And I would say even afterwards, the, the Jews got lucky because the king who came after Oliver Cromwell, after he died, Charles II, was the head of the Church of England. He said, let the, keep, leave the Jews alone. That's a whole story by itself. But the animation behind it was the Puritans and the Pilgrims. And for hundreds of years, they were like this. They wanted to study the the um, Gemara even, so that they hoped it would eventually lead to the conversion of the Jews. Meanwhile, they published a lot of very interesting things on, on Shas. People don't know about this. Uh, Siren Heiss's translation of the Mishnah, you know, the realm of Pirisha Mishnah in Latin. It's a whole thing called the Krishna Brace. It wasn't done out of hatred of the Jews. It was done out of a screwball type of love. But a screwball type of love can mean this, it can mean that. If you're Jewish, any kind of love or positive reception was good. 
as long as it's not, you know, explicitly and totally dependent on your conversion. If it's just like we're trying to show you how good we are, so therefore you'll see the light and come over to our side, that's okay, as far as I'm concerned. And that was okay as far as they're concerned. Because the mice, you're not persecuting me, I'm allowing me to have my religious freedom. This is, uh, what I'm talking about, really does kind of originate with the Puritans and the pilgrims. I don't think you, excuse me, I don't think you have another form of Christianity. You understand? As time went on, and here you see the Yad Hashem, as the 15, especially the 1600s went on, and the 1700s went on, what I just talked about became not simply a quirk within the Anglo culture in England and in the English colonies, but it achieved international political significance because the 1600s, especially the second half, and the 1700s, 1800s, saw England balloon and create the British Empire, which was humongous. If you have a minute, go online or your phone and just Google an image of the British Empire based in 1914 or 1920. It's like a, a big part of the earth. And the ideas I just described to you, which start with the Pilgrims and the Puritans, crystallized and, you know, kind of evolved over time into a more benign form, that uh, British were pretty doggone tolerant towards the Jews, more than the others in Europe. And because they had such a big empire, number one, wherever you're Jewish, you benefited from that. And number two, the British had weight in the international affairs. And by the time you get, um, I would say, to the 1800s, uh, this development that I just described spread and became more powerful in the councils of the British government. And not everybody, of course, you, what I'm trying to say is like this. I can be a philo-Semite and also an anti-Semite. The person doesn't have to be, you know, totally for the Jews. I can say, you know, I don't like the Jews. They have funny noses. They do this, that, and the other. But I support the state of Israel, to use modern terminology. You see? Or I'm opposed to Hitler's persecution of the Jews. Well, that's that's good enough. You understand? You don't need to like everything about me. And you don't need to be a, a believer in Judaism. If you see the Jews as worthy of support, and you think God, in, in your religious way of thinking, wants you to be good to the Jews and things like that, why not? That's what this guy, Pastor Hagee, was doing, I'm sure. I wasn't at the rally, but I heard about it. And I know some Rabbanim were, uh, you know, uncomfortable with all the rest of it. I don't agree at all. If you can get somebody who's a big leader of, of Christian religion and he wants to support Israel now, and they do, in word and deed, in word and deed, so go for it. Um, this is the origins of the whole Thanksgiving idea. It's more of an Old Testament sort of thing. It's more of a Jewish kind of thing. It's the idea of Hodul Hashem Kitoki Lolam Chazo, as they see it. You understand? It's uh, very much grounded in the Bible. And although they themselves would not necessarily like the individual Jews, talking about the pilgrims, um, they would be fascinated with the Jewish belief and the Jewish values. They would try to understand it 
obviously coming from their narrow Christian sectarian point of view. No, so what? You understand? I don't have to get worked up over that. I don't like it when I see um, historians, liberal writers, and others. They'll say, "True, this guy helped Israel," um, but he also said something about the, about the Jews. You don't evaluate like that. You're not going to find many people that are 100% tzaddikim, whether Jewish or not. Truman said a lot of bad things about the Jews, if you know who he was. But he stepped up to the plate and did whatever he needed. He did the right thing. I don't know what Biden says about the Jews behind doors. He's probably a nice guy, so he probably doesn't do it. But you know what I'm saying. Listen, Nixon. Not long ago, we had Yom Kippur, 50 years Yom Kippur War. Nixon certainly said a lot of bad things about the Jews. It's recorded because he was stupid enough to record himself. And yet, he saved Israel. You know what I'm talking about. You understand? How can, it, how can one be with the other? Only a superficial analyzer, analyst of humans, you know, looks for complete, uh, what's the right word, um, consistency. People are people, and they're wonderful examples of inconsistencies. And as far as I'm concerned, what pre- the, the predominant, you know, uh, effect is what's important. And so right now, when Israel's got its back against the wall, and the world is dividing the two teams, anybody who wants to join our team, I mean, I want to, I, maybe he's doing this, so I say, I'm getting creds with the Jews, and later I'll be able to convert all the rest of it. I'll deal with that later. I'm not worried about that. that to, are, are we strong enough in our faith? I think we are. But you want their help, because the other side is getting plenty of people who are joining the Palestinian cause, Shalom Lishma. You understand? They're doing it for all kinds of reasons, and they don't care. They'll take them on board. So, I, you know, Trump is a good example of this. He's got all kinds of objectionable things. But on the other hand, he's pro-Israel. They can't deny it. And so you have all sorts of weirdisms, as they call them, that pop up in connection with the whole holiday of Thanksgiving. But we are reminded, I would say, that the Bernie Shalom runs the world, meaning whatever the hesitations that the pilgrims and the Puritans in the 1600s had towards the Jews and Judaism, they started the ball rolling in a direction that eventually led to all kind of philo-Semitism. And if you ask yourself, how did the state of Israel come into being? It is a fact, I mean, but Derechateva now, Derechateva, is a fact it's caused of Great Britain, the British Empire, and the U.S. World War One and World War Two, in the aftermath. Uh, you can listen to my whole series on the Balfour Declaration if you want. It's on YouTube. But it happened, and it made no sense. Adayomazed, you know, the Arabs are saying, "Why did the British do? Why did you do this?" Right? They don't understand the mindset of Lloyd George, and Balfour, and and all the other guys. It's don't they don't cop it. Minor Sagan and Colonel Patterson, they don't get it. Uh, and I I understand that they don't get it. And they ascribe all kind of sinister reasons for it. Or what's his name, Lord Palmerston, who was the best friend that Jews had in the 19th century. I'll tell you that right now. You understand? When you had the Damascus affair, and all the world, and all the Europeans thought that Jews did the Alil Islam, only Palmerston, who was a very powerful person, stood against it. And he said, it's stupid, it's a shtus. And when the British ambassador in Syria said it's true, he fired him. You see? This is what you... Now, 
Does that mean Palmerston loved each and every? He was a British aristocrat, you know. Whatever he thought, but Lamaisa, he was of significant help to the Yeshuva Yashan, as we call it. So, these are the ideas. It seems to me that are most relevant in terms of Jewish to the ideas of Thanksgiving and the others. I know the idea of eating turkey and thanking God for the food and all that. I get that. But I'll say it again. There's like a certain line that can be drawn from the original Thanksgiving to the founding of Israel. Because it was done by the Anglo-Saxon world. It was not done by the French. And obviously not by the Germans or the Russians or the Italians or any of those guys. They wouldn't want a Jewish state under any circumstances. There was only one country that did, and that was England. Now, England is far from perfect, and they messed this over, and this and that and the other. I'm well aware of that. But you cannot deny they're the ones who moved their weight after the First World War and later, and and subsequently the U.S., um, to help Israel. In this current crisis, there's only one country, the USA, that actually Lamaisa helped Israel. There are others that express support, and that's all good too. But they're doing so under the impact of of the long history and European culture of, of English philo-Semitism. So, you know, uh, Thanksgiving as a phenomenon is uh, quite fascinating if you're looking from the Jewish point of view. But I would argue within the context of the broader, you know, philo-Semitism. Does that mean there was no anti-Semitism among the Puritans or the or um, what do you call it, the pilgrims, or the British, or of course there was. Like I said before, Balfour had anti-Semitic tendencies. Who cares? But Lamaisa, he's, he, he, he came in and helped in a substantial way, and that's what matters. So don't be so picky and say, you know, unless you're 100% uh, you know, uh, Simon Pure, and you never say anything, uh, never say anything illiberal, that you're, if you don't, unless it's like that, you're not good. I don't agree with that. I think we go by Rove. <laughs> if Rove of what the person did, and I mean qualitatively, not quantitatively, if Rove of what the person did was a benefit to Claudius Rode, then he was a good person. If Rove did was bad, then he's a bad person, even though he might have a couple of good things. There have been many bad people to the Jews in history who had one or two Jewish friends. You know, uh, that doesn't make them not bad as far as I see. So you go by such um, considerations, and in that regard, you know, you, you view history, as they say, objectively, as it were, or subjectively, through Jewish lenses. I hope that uh, this is the kind of uh, evaluation that uh, that people like Alan and Janet realize, because they always interacted with people um, who are not Jewish, and uh, there are all kind of people out there and, you know, you can't expect everybody to be 100% super tzaddik and love every uh, Jew that ever lived. I, I don't know any Jew like that, let alone somebody who's not Jewish. But you go, as I say before, by their predominant, um, you know, ach- characteristics and achievement, nor are they helping. So somebody's now stepping up to the plate and saying, I want to help Israel in the current climate, whether it's sending money or helping them get weapons or helping this or that and the other. That person's a good person. Whether they're doing it because, you know, they hope one day the Jews will convert, I don't care. That's it. If you want to give me a million dollars, and you say the reason you're giving me a million dollars is because you hope one day 
I'll do this, that, and the other. Meanwhile, give me the money. I'll, f I'll figure out what to do with it. You understand? Uh, we're too, the world's too full of people that would like to give us a cold knife, a dagger. Um, so we want to, uh, you know, um, uh, attract the support of as many uh, pilgrims and and uh, Puritans <laughs> and so forth and follow some ways as we can. Uh, I think that's the most interesting and relevant aspect to me of Thanksgiving this year when Thanksgiving happens to be taking place in the context of a war that's been two months already. Two months. Um, think about that. I hope that it will have a happy ending and we'll be able to look back a year from now and say, oh, last Thanksgiving was just before we gained the final victory. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I don't know what this hostage bitch is. I'm very uptight. But let's hope and Dobbin that all will turn out for the best. Anyway, uh, Mazel Tov to the Abramowitz of 43 years of marriage. The divorce lawyers are going to shoot you guys. <laughs> and um, I wish them much luck also in their new aliyah there in the Gush and uh, along with the rest of Medina Israel. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.